Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Look, I go back with him. I covered him on the beat back in 93, got to know him. His attention to detail, you know, look, you heard Terry say the same thing here a few nights ago. His attention to detail, his preparedness is like nobody else, or at least is on a par with anybody else. And I just think for this team, with his experience, a team that's built to win now with veteran guys, I think he's the right guy. His in-game strategy has always been uh, has always been something that people recognized as being really good. And uh, it, look, if Max Scherzer is really telling the Mets he wants him, that's good enough for me too. I think Showalter is a great fit for all the reasons the guy just said, and he would definitely be a solid leader for the Mets. But when you look at that managerial position, it is so critical for this team because it's really the thing I believe that could put them over the top. And with Buck, he'll get the ducks in a row. He's not going to put up with anything. He knows how to win. For everyone complaining about the postseason record, let's get to the postseason Mets fans, okay? He's a guy who can clean house. But you look at those other candidates, whether it's Espada or Quattraro, all of them on the list are interesting in different ways. But I think it's not time for the Mets to find the new young mind and the the ones who's going to work with all the analytics and change everything. That's not going to work for this team. I think you need someone who is a little bit old school. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, December the 12th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the Talking Mets Podcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. 
and get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in our great partners, the Fan Sided Podcasting Network, as well as the good folks over at RisingApple.com. Well, what is it? It's day 11. MLB lockout. As I promised, throughout the lockout, we'll start every show with what day it is, almost like we're proverbial baseball hostages. Congratulations to Gil Hodges. So since the last time we were on the air, Gil was elected into the Hall of Fame. I am working on trying to put together something to kind of celebrate the event. And I also have some thoughts on how that voting went down, specifically Dick Allen. And I'll do that another time. I don't think today's for that, but I just wanted to put that in there. Well, what is today about? Primarily, it's about the final countdown as the whatever it is, two or three candidates that have gone through the process for the Mets managerial search will be meeting with Steve Cohen this week. And I do anticipate by, oh, let's say sometime by Friday, I think this week and no later than the end of the week, that the Mets will name a manager. And by the way... How fortuitous, and I think this was written by, you know, maybe Ken Davidoff or maybe Joel Sherman, I I can't remember, about how the lockout was actually a good thing for the Mets because with the way the GM search went and how crazy the whole free agency situation went and how quickly it went leading up to the the days into the lockout, the Mets almost were able to do a, a big push on roster building take a pause, and now focus on their managerial search, which knowing that Billy Epler just came in, and yeah, he has a staff, but he's he's obviously building it up, that would not have been easy in most circumstances. So to me, that is a big win. The Mets now could just take a deep breath. They don't have to worry about free agents. They don't have to multitask on multiple points, and they could go out there and they could do thorough interviews. And now with Zoom, you don't have to worry about all the pomp and circumstance, the dinners, the coming in, the this, that. I mean, there's a lot of negative with Zoom, but I think sometimes it cuts through some of the BS that, uh, you know, maybe good nuance in learning about a candidate. Before I get into that, because as I had said on Twitter, and if you don't follow me, you should be at Mike Silva Media. Not that you probably were waiting with a bated breath, and not that I think if you looked at the name of this program or have followed me on Twitter, you're going to be surprised about who I am going to stump for to be the next manager of the Mets. Before I get into all that, I have to say one thing. This, and this is just driving me crazy because I am not anti-analytics. I am not anti-information. What I am anti-agenda, I am anti-authoritarian type of thought. That's what I'm anti. And when I hear, well, how can the candidate blend the analytics, how will they take instruction from the analytics department? That, to me, is media code for the analytics department saying, I run the show here, I run the game, I don't want to be in the dugout, but I like to be in the tower, like Stratomatic, and I want you to take my script and do it to how I want to do it. And... Analytics is not rocket science. Now, certainly some of the ways they get into the formulas and the math and all that. I don't have a degree in engineering like some of these guys do. And I didn't go to Ivy League. And 
I certainly got through basic pre-calculus and calculus classes in high school and college, and I was a business major, and, and, and I've been in, you know, I, we want to talk about the candy land of, of business and marketing and sales in my personal life, which isn't high level all the time. You know, it's kind of basic principles, but it, it tells you a lot of how to interact with people, and it tells you a lot, and I understand this game. I've been a fan of this game for a long time. I've I've covered it on the peripheral for quite a long time now. Talked to a lot of people from Hall of Famers, Hall of Fame broadcasters, Hall of Fame athletes, all the way down to nondescript scouts. So I, I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. The analytics are simply a blueprint or information for a manager to help them navigate the X's and O's of a ball game. That's it. That's it. Any of these guys think it's more than that? Take your, you know, khakis and shirt off, put on a uniform, go down there, and you do it. And stop with the cottage industry power and control that has been going on probably for 20 years, which I warned everybody about at the old NYBD many, many years ago, that this was never about seeking the truth. Remember, I'll tell you, I remember, and if some of you have been on the blogosphere for a long time, the old adage from these guys used to be seeking the truth. Oh, we're just here to seek the truth. No, you're here to get a job. You're here to get a job. Just like there's a lot of writers that litter certain blogs or independent media, Mets blogs, that are out there to get jobs in the industry. So all their work is agenda-driven to get a job. And that's okay. Look, you got to work. But know your role and know that I see through you and know that I know what you're about. So any candidate that comes in, and and if you watched, and I highly recommend, all you got to do is go to Google. Go to Google, Buck Showalter, A Baseball Life. It's an old MLB Network special, and it was from 2015, so it's about six years old. But Buck sat down with Bob Costas, and you could hear his thoughts on analytics. And by the way, I mean, you know, unless you're completely disassociated from the industry. I mean, this stuff has been around for two decades. It's been mainstream for at least a decade. So it's, it's at the end, we're acting like, you know, oh my God, I can't figure out what uh, exit velocity is. I listened to Mackie Sasser on our good friend, John Struble. If you don't listen to Mets Rewind, you should. Talking to John Struble on Mets Rewind. I spoke to Mackie years ago, college coach. And he talked about spin rate. He's like, well, in our day, it was just a, you know, a nasty curveball. You don't think you don't think the Gary Carter or Barry Lyons or Mackie Sasser who caught Doc Gooden knew Doc Gooden had good spin rate. Do they need? Do they need a a a, a an algorithm to, to 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 show that? Now I understand you could go and you could get in and you could start to look at stuff on a more nuanced level, micro level, and sometimes you get bogged down. That's the thing you get bogged down on the details. And I'm all for the Mets and corporate analytics. I think it was a big reason why defensively, even though they had some of the same personnel, they were much better in 2021. But let's take a step back and breathe and understand that part of the organization are information givers. They're not leaders. They're not the leader. They're not the authoritarian. As much as I know they want to be because the more power they have, the more control they have, the more control they have, the more money they make. And a lot of the things that they do, the nuance they do, has bogged the sport down to where it could lead to extinction. We're not there yet, but you know now we got to fix a mess. 
the more information you have and the more that the curtain is pulled out in front, you know, obviously there are changes. So that's that's that. I don't want to get too deep into that. So I don't have this when I make my this well, I was making my statement about who I want to be the manager. This idea, well, how do they handle analytics? Unless they are beyond ancient. I can't see that as being a problem. And none of the candidates that I see that the Mets have put out there, Buck Showalter, Bob Guerin, Brad Ausmus, Matt Quattraro, Joe Espada, Clayton McCullough, Don Kelly, none profile. Even the more elder statesmen of the group like Showalter as guys that don't know how to use information. By the way, Buck was an information guy probably when information wasn't really thought of. You don't look at attention to detail and numbers without... You don't, you're not an attention to detail guy without having some numbers as part of it. I look at this search very simply. And it's really no different than when Brody Van Wagen and Jeff Wilpon were doing this post-Mickey Calloway a couple of years ago. All truth, I'll repeat it again. My desire for this organization has been to get a, a, a whenever you want to call young. I don't want to use the word young because young can mean a lot of things. I'm 44. Some people might think I'm old. Some people might think I'm young. I don't know what young means anymore. But... I would like someone who could take over this team, grow with it, and be the manager for a decade. I think that stability is really, really cool. I was watching the Knicks Spurs the other night. Greg Popovich has been the Spurs coach for 26 years. That's like Walter Alston. That doesn't happen in modern-day sports. And I don't expect the next Mets manager to be here 25, 26 years. But how cool is it to get an organization where there's some certainty where players that uh, that play there know what to expect, with processes that are good, where free agents and recruitment become really easy because, hey, you know what's going to be part of it. Obviously, getting stale is a challenge in those kind of organizations, but great leaders know how to get around that. So that would be my desire. As I've said many times, and you heard John Harper, and even Joel Sherman wrote about this, and it was behind a paywall, so I'll recap it for you. The Mets are not at a point where they could take a risk. They were wrong on Mickey Calloway, who, by the way, was a hotshot manager. They were wrong on Carlos Beltran for other reasons. They were wrong on Louis Rojas. They probably were wrong on Terry Collins, but... And if you want to go as far back as the Omar Minaya era, they were wrong on Willie Randolph, and they certainly were wrong on Jerry Manuel. And I'll even go further back. They were wrong on Art Howe. And the last time they were right, and they were right in any significant way and I take Collins out of it because I don't think he was a good manager, it was Bobby Valentine. We're talking two decades. The guy's running for mayor list. He ran for mayor this past November in Stanford and lost. So I look at this as you have your experienced candidates, you have your hotshot candidates and your unknowns. And based on what I just told you, hotshot candidates and unknowns are just not going to work. They're just not going to work. So I'm sorry, Matt Quattraro and Joe Espada, both who have really good resumes, a spotter who seems to have this good blend working in Houston of analytics and feel for players. He's been in the Yankee organization. And look, if there was one guy that's not Buck Showalter, who I think should get the job and will get the job, a spotter might be that guy. Remember, he has a connection to the Yankees. He was not, not because he was the third base coach, but Brian Cashman personally brought him in. And brought him in not just to be a coach, but to get the experience of what they do in the front office and blend the front office into the field, which is always a debate about how fair that is to the manager and whatnot. So if I think anybody's going to get this job outside of Buck Showalter, it's going to be a spot. 
if he's one of the final candidates. We don't know. I'm assuming he is. I find it curious that four clubs have passed on him. The Angels, the Jays, the Rangers, the Cubs. Angels with Epler being one of them. Uh, the guys that passed on him. So that'll be interesting. Quattraro, I think any of these Rays guys are going to get a lot of cachet out in the, in the marketplace. Because, oh, what's their secret sauce? You know what their secret sauce? It's called keep it simple, stupid. And you know why I say that? You don't just do analytics. You don't just do scouting. You blend them together and you really find a way to make them work. Listen to Kevin Kernan who's been on this show. That's the Rays secret sauce. What is their secret sauce? What is their formula? Guys, it's called keep it simple, stupid. Look in front of you. Use your eyes and use information and put them in their proper context. We've been fighting about that concept in this sport for two decades now. It's exhausting. This game has become like politics. It's become like Washington, D.C., where you want to scream and strangle people and say, just pay attention to what's going on in front of you. Stop looking at this graph that tells you absolutely nothing. As far as the hot, you know, total unknowns, Clayton McCullough and Don Kelly, young guys, McCullough coming from the Dodgers organization, Kelly bounced out of this thing for whatever reason, for personal reasons. Kelly, a guy who played recently, probably understands a little bit of how, as not a good player, how maybe you can, similar to Jeremy Hefner, how you can implement analytics. He's probably like a Jeremy Hefner type in this form of a manager. Just not the right time. Would love to see one of these guys, if they impress and the Mets can find a way to hire them away, come on the staff and be groomed. Because let's face it, the next manager's not going to be here if it's an experienced guy for a decade. Who knows how long they're going to be here? Hopefully more than a year or two, because that's what the rate of, uh, you know, the average turn has been for the Mets. I mean, the Mets look a lot like the Yankees in the 80s. What was it, the first 18 years of George Steinbrenner ownership? There was 18 managers, the old thing, and Buck became the 19th. It's a lot of managers in two, two decades. A lot of, you know, revolving doors. That leaves the experienced candidates. And I want Buck Showalter, and I'll get to Buck because there's a lot you could get there to be the manager. But let me give you Garen and Osmus a little bit. Garen's the more controversial one, in my opinion, because I can't believe we're actually talking about him as a manager again. His name has popped up over and over and over Every time the Mets have had a managerial open since, you know, Collins was kicked out of here. And I never understood it because he was a lousy manager in Oakland. And other than a small sample size of bench coach having success with the catchers like Darno and, and, and Anthony Recker has been on SNY talking highly of him, having played for him when he was with the Mets. I don't see what Bob Guerin anywhere near be, is a good managerial candidate. He would be Terry Collins 2.0, maybe worse. But look at Brad Ausmith. You know, why, why not Brad Ausmith? Dartmouth guy, smart ball player. He learned how to coach manage while he was playing. I mean, Phil Garner tells a story about how he was basically helping run the dugout when, at the end of his career when he was playing for the Astros. I was going through some feedback from his Detroit years, looking at some old articles. Runs a good bullpen. Looks like he knows how to work his guys in and out of, out of a lineup to maximize their performance. You know, had veterans over in Detroit. Did take over Jimmy Leland's team, which was kind of built for him and, and was somewhat successful at the early part. Even though he's quiet, you know, he can take charge, which could mean a lot of things. Quiet sometimes is, you know, it's, it's a dangerous type of thing. Now, what was interesting is reading, this is from four years ago. So a lot of these guys, especially Ospice, who only had a small stint with the Angels for one year. So a lot of the feedback is going to be, from Detroit, which is a while ago. 
And this was a candidate that the Mets potentially were looking at the last time they had an opening with Mickey Calloway. I think if I don't remember, if I remember correctly, he bounced out. I don't think it was the Mets, but I can't remember. There's some talk that he's too rigid, unwilling to admit mistakes, uh, oblivious to analytics, which is funny because he's a Darth Maul guy. I find it hard to believe. And it's funny, when the media puts that the guy's oblivious to an analytics revolution that has swept baseball over the last decade, why does analytics have to be a revolution? What, are we fighting for freedom here? Sounds like me, we're fighting for power and control in the front office and the dugout. Doesn't it, guys? That's what it sounds like to me. And when I hear revolution, that never is a good thing. Because revolutions lead to chaos. We don't need any more chaos in the New York Mets front office or dugout. Here's the one reason why I would never, never hire Brad Ausmus if I read this. And it would be a big part of my interview process with Ausmus. I've told you how I look at baseball managers. And Billy Epler kind of, and I've been saying this for years, Billy Epler pretty much in his own way confirmed all that to me when he was on his Zoom. You know that the first thing I look for in a manager is, and it's obvious, he's got to get along with his boss. That's the first thing. Got to get along with his boss. And you can't have what Davey Johnson and Frank Cashin had where they battled. You can't have what Bobby Valentine and Steve Phillips had when they battled. That's not going to work, especially now and where this team is. Um, you got to be able to run a clean clubhouse and communicate and work with your players. Hold them accountable. The communication is key. I think we've overemphasized players, manager, and this new generation. At some point, accountability and communication, the principles behind that are the same whether you're, you know, this age group or that age group. Sometimes you have to change the tone or maybe adapt to each individual person, but it's the same. Same. So you need that. You need to be able to manage a bullpen. X's and O's are important, but I think the bullpen is of paramount importance. And you need to be able to manage the media and manage the media because, and I think Epler said it better than even I have put out there, you're going to be on TV two times a day. I mean, you have the pregame, the postgame. Even Mickey Calloway struggled a lot with that his first year, the amount of media you have to do. I mean, think about it. You're doing a pregame or you're doing, you know, the, the, the old, now it's Zoom, the old dais before the game. You're on with Eddie Coleman or Wayne Randazzo on the radio before the game. And then you do the postgame. That's three interviews off the bat that are your responsibility every day. So there's a lot of time for you to screw up and say something that's going to ruin the public perception, which is marketing, and, and you would say, who cares? But obviously, with the power that of the public and the persuasion and an owner who is very much involved in social media, that could turn really bad really quick. And obviously, players who take it more seriously. The, the, the media can be used as a tool to help motivate and send messages. It's got to be used very carefully. The great ones have done that. So when you tell me a guy like Osmus appears smug, set in his ways, unwilling to set blame on in television interviews, uh, a sense of sarcasm that not everyone appreciates, even though he's patient when he's being global reporters, uh, that's going to go really bad. You know that. They'll pick up on that. That'll go bad in April. That'll go bad a week into the season. And then that'll become, the, the pitchforks will get out, and the, all it will be about how clueless this guy is. 
and we're back to square one. We're back to Mickey Calloway. We're back to Louis Rojas and the blandness. We're back to whatever. Jerry Manuel, you name it, over the last two decades. And that is not a situation that the Mets can handle right now. They just can't. Bob Guerin, whole different story. Bob Guerin, I, I don't know why. There's a segment of the fan base, at least on Twitter, and I know Twitter is not the real world, that thinks Bob Guerin's like this Miller Huggins or this next big manager. Lowell Cohen over the Press Democrat back when Bob Guerin was fired, again, about 10 years ago. And I know, like I said, Darno and Rucker, you know, Darno has helped. I remember him speaking highly of Guerin when he was a, uh, uh, when he was the bench coach here, and Rucker who played for him. Communication was always Guerin's issue. He's a bland guy. He's not a great communicator. He's a guy that I think the analytics guys love. Let me give you the blueprint. You just sit there in the dugout, execute the blueprint, and you push the buttons. That's called stratomatic baseball. That is okay if they're cards on a table playing a board game or on, you know, now you can play Stratomatic on the computer. Great game, by the way. Not a video game with a lot of action and good graphics, but if you haven't played Stratomatic, the computer game, you need to get it. And I'm not getting paid to say that because I've been playing it for 30-somewhat years. Let me read you a few quotes from Lowell Cohen's column at the Press Democrat. Reliever Brian Fuente said publicly he had zero communication with Garen. What does it mean for a good manager to communicate with his players? It means he makes clear what their jobs are and what he expects of them. Guerin did not know the roles and could not communicate them, and that made Fuentes anxious. Players did not trust Guerin to do what managers do. He lost the team and could not get it back, and Bean had to fire him. It is unusual to fire a manager in early June, but no one defended Guerin. Not one A's player defended him. No one from the organizations defended him. Well, other organizations defended him. No one. With the media, Guerin was humorless and bland and afraid to take a stand or say anything of consequence. That will go over well here, right, guys? That sounds like Louis Rojas. He lacks self-assurance, and his briefings were useless. Question, this was a leader, question mark. Unimpressive, pedestrian, ordinary. If you think those there's a more damning three words to describe a manager, or any leader, or any person, I mean, geez, I don't know if that person would go well in a dating profile. Unimpressive pedestrian ordinary is the perfect three words that Lowell Cohen put out there. That the guy you want to lead the Mets? Remember, I've said it. The Mets are at a historic point in their history. They have an owner with a ton of money. They've had so much disappointment and failure. The team across town, as it has a couple other times in the last two decades, is vulnerable. You can take over and have a new generation of fans buy into your brand. That's important. That's what the Yankees did after the 80s and the Mets and ruling the town. And I'm not here to... It's not about winning the town. That's secondary. You can now do what you did to the Yankees back in the early 80s, mid-80s, and take the town and maybe build the foundation for your own strong brand for two decades. Like the Yankees have three decades, whatever. You want an unimpressive pedestrian and ordinary guy holding a $300 million potential payroll in his hands? Do you know what they will do to him on those post games? Do you know the jokes that will come of him? Now, I understand everybody could evolve, and supposedly Terry Collins evolved, and I guess he did. 
but Terry was, he was very unimpressive in my opinion. He was a firecracker and he was good at schmoozing, which the media loves. They looked over and looked past a lot of his indiscretions in terms of communication with the players. Uh, Didn't really communicate with the whole roster, maybe just the veterans. And his lack of um, in-game X's and O's. I mean, his bullpen management was awful. And I don't think he knew analytics if it hit him in the head. Now, maybe it was a different time in Mets history, but be that as it may. So what does that bring? So we don't want the hotshot candidate or the inexperienced unknown because we don't know what we're going to get out of them. And and also, real quick, what hotshot candidate other than Alex Cora recently has really, really, really been like, wow, he lived up to his height? Go back in history. Not many do. So let's be careful about Espada and Quattraro. Buck Showwater. Yeah, I get the old... Did different knocks. You know, he's too rigid. Uh, he didn't win any postseason series. One minute the analytics crowd tells you randomness of the postseason doesn't matter. The next minute, well, he didn't win. So which one is it? You can't have it both ways. You can't have it one way for your guy and another way for the guy you don't like. Now, Joel Sherman basically has parroted what I've said in his column over at the New York Post. The Mets can't have guesswork right now. And... There's a lot of chaos here. And what's funny is Sherman also brings up about how managers sometimes has to be right place, right time. I mean, Gabe Kapler was a complete zero in Philadelphia. Now he just oversaw a team that won 107 games. Buck has, throughout his history, been a bit bit unlucky. Probably the team cut the cord on him a year too early. I mean, the D-backs won 100 games, lost to the Mets with Todd Pratt walk-off. Missed the playoffs the next year. Got shilling too late in the year. And it wasn't enough. And the Mets team that got hot in 2000. And they got rid of him. And the next year they they ride pretty much the same roster to a World Series championship. I'm pretty sure Buck could have done that. And it would have been amazing him doing that against the Yankees. Would have been a great story. Texas with the A-Rod contract. There was a lot there in payroll that made it very difficult for him to do more than what he did. And he did have a couple of competitive teams. I think his work in Baltimore is by far the most impressive. Takes a team on a 62 Mets pace and plays 11 games over 500, gets into the playoffs, nearly got them into the World Series in 2014, and stayed there. And that's a tough place to manage and work. Eight years. Angelos, I mean, historically, is not easy. Look at, read David Johnson's book. Now, maybe the the Suns and there's not the same spit and vinegar there. But you got to take that seriously. And look, anybody who who watched the Yankees like I did in the mid-90s and saw that series against Seattle, Harper's right. John Harper's right. The bullpen imploded. But the Mariners had serious offense. Ken Griffey, Edgar Martinez, Jay Buhner. And they had Randy Johnson. And they had that kingdom, that weird stadium. They were on life support. They were probably going to move and... and it was magic. I mean, there's sometimes where all these things come together. And let's not forget, there's the stupid baseball rules. The Yankees probably should have never got the first two games at home. I mean, the Mariners were uh, division winners. Mariners should have had two, first two at home, and then game five. And who knows? Sometimes that not having to do three in a row in Seattle, maybe it's different. Maybe they... You know, maybe the Mariners are nervous their first game at home in a postseason series. And they maybe down 2-0, they play loosey-goosey. There's a lot of reasons. I don't think Buck deserves to be fired, but that's a vintage George 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 Steinbrenner. 
What was interesting when I watched that, I mentioned before the MLB Network, A Baseball Life by Buck. G. Michael basically said kind of what these stat guys are saying. Well, for him to get into Pantheon of Managers, he has to win a title. That doesn't mean he's a bad manager. He has to win a title. And that's fair. I think you'll see Buck's lighter side. There was a funny interaction with Darren O'Day. Everybody who has covered this man and talked about him talks about his attention to detail, direct and honest conversation. Uh, He worries about perfection and process, and there's a constant intensity to challenge people. I understand where that could be burnout. I can understand where... Direct and honest scares people. You have no idea how direct and honest, how scary it is to people. I'm sure you've experienced that in your life. But you'll never misunderstand where somebody is. You think Tom Thibodeau's not direct and honest? Forget about the Knicks being two games under 500. Teams could win or lose based on a lot of the factors of the manager or the coach. Remember something. The Mets right now need... a. It's critically important to make the right decision. And maybe Buck becomes a bridge. Does he win a championship? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he becomes a bridge to a better, more well-run organization. He's a leader who's strong enough to withstand all the garbage that comes with this. I can't say that about any of the other guys. I mean, certainly Auspice and Garen, based on those reports from their old from the media that covered them in those markets, and let's say Oakland and Detroit, not exactly. Uh, shark markets. Let's put it that way. Could you imagine? The media will be disarmed from day one. The veterans in that group of media, the Harpers, the Shermans, the Davidoffs, they're going to put the little, the children in the room, and you know who the children in that group are that like to, you know, stir up the pot with ignorant comments. They're going to be put to the side. No one's going to listen to them. Because what happens is the children see the, the, the veterans kind of go after the manager and then they feel emboldened and they, they stir the pot and they sometimes are the, the flame that makes things worse than they are. Brad Brock, who's a bullpen arm you guys are familiar with, spoke very highly of his bullpen management. His in-game strategy is lauded. I already mentioned the direct and honest communication. Analytics versus implementation, it sounds like that was a part of the conversation and Buck talked about it on the show at Costas on the MLB Network show. I, again, highly recommend you watch it. He said, look, I like information. I can look at these terms and understand them. It doesn't take a lot, but I want the ability as the guy who's watching the game down in the clubhouse, understanding what the players are all about. For example, do we know what's going on in that guy's life? Why he's not the right guy to put in the lineup today? Maybe he lost a family member. Maybe he's getting divorced. Maybe he's, his head's not feeling good because of something. The analytics department can't put that together. They don't think it matters, but it does. Analytics departments are assets. They're not leaders. They have to be put in their place. And we I've been worried, and we had shows about this last month, uh, that Cohen was going in the wrong direction. Hopefully, and it sounds like with the hiring of an Epler, whether it be out of desperation or not, that that's not the case. He has a relationship with Epler. Remember, this is the Gene Mark tree. A G. Mark. G. Michael Tree. G. Michael is baseball royalty in this town. And I told you the story. I met him once and it was it was like walking into the Pope's office. Met him at a ballpark. Wish I could have more time to talk to him. Didn't have that opportunity. I mean, the tree that Buck comes, going all the way back to Billy Martin. He was on Billy Martin's staff. Say what you want about Billy off the field. Smart baseball guy. 
G. Michael. The experience is during a time in baseball forgotten. A true edge. Look at the guys like Jim Leland and Tony La Russa and Dusty Baker. All who were either... Jim Leland was out of the game for a while when he took over Detroit. Dusty, Tony La Russa. Tony La Russa was out of the game a little bit. I saw Tony at a business conference just a couple of years ago. Never would have thought he'd be managing again. He was there talking about his charitable endeavors. Had a chance to talk to him for about three minutes. Basically said to him, Yadier Melina still kills me to this day. He left. All have been instrumental. These dinosaurs... All have been instrumental to winning teams the last 10 years. Their teams are, be, are successful. Some of these hotshot managers are not. I understand, well, why are we going back and how long can Buck... You know, you get four years out of Buck and you get to the World Series or you have really good four years and you don't win anything in terms of a championship but you have good teams, teams that are in it, that have good moments, that maybe just fall short. Maybe that's what Buck's lot in life is. It starts and builds the bridge to a better tomorrow. And that's where, who can the next generation be? Can they hire someone from this group that they've been interviewing, give them a raise, give them maybe a fancy title to get them away from the organization they're at, and groom them to be the Mets? That's why Buck Showalter is the most sensible and probably the only option right now that makes sense. Because any of the other candidates from those three groups are going to be a risk. And you'll hear me, and you can see all, you can write all you want about how smart they are, all this stuff. All, we, could, we, could, we could put lipstick on the pig, for lack of a better word, on those guys and try to dress them up when they get announced if those are the candidates. But each one of them will be potentially the next Mickey Calloway, the next Luis Rojas, you name it. The next Gabe Kapler in Philadelphia. And maybe Louis, and I think Louis Rojas will go on to do something with another team at some point and probably be successful. A lot of people disagree, but I'll stand by that. So my vote is for Buck Showalter. I think all the characteristics you want in a manager, he hits them. Check, 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 check. He's been historically good at turning organizations around. And he turned around organizations that were in worse shape than this Mets team is in. And he didn't have the richest owner in the sport. Well, maybe with Steinbrenner he did. He had the one that's willing to spend the most back then. But there were other mitigating factors there. So, anyway, that's my pick, Buck Showalter. You go do your own research. You go read on these guys. I understand where some of you stand. Let's not get bogged down in the analytics and the analytics revolution and where the analytics needs to be so embedded in the dugout where, well, we don't even need a manager. Don't listen to these guys. They don't know what they're talking about. They've been stumping for this nonsense for two decades. They've never managed anybody. They've never run anything. They don't even really talk well with people, some of these guys. Let them run the information, provide the information. Let the baseball people take that information and apply it the way they want. And if they don't apply any of it or they don't apply it appropriately, have a conversation. And that's probably what they did in the interview. And I'm not saying throw it in the trash. I'm not advocating to take the book and throw it in the trash. But, I mean, you you got to stop looking at every little nugget here before a game and these micro... Uh, breakdowns because like the old Chili Davis story from a couple of months ago when he talked about Jake Arrieta and how many sliders he threw and and he disagreed and the analytics department said no he'll do this and who was right Chili Davis because his eyes showed him what they did you got to blend it both and the person who's who uses their eyes doesn't use the other information well shame on them and that's where you hold them accountable I do not believe Buck Showalter would be that guy and I think he will be so important on all those fronts of why 
he should be the next manager of the New York Mets. All right, let's take a quick break. When I return, the Mets are still in the lockout. They can't make any moves. But I just wanted to comment briefly on what could have been an historic, not just Max Scherzer. The Mets were about to do something historic, sign two big starting pitchers. The old guard, who is already established a Hall of Fame career, and a potential new ace that could have came in and really beefed up the Mets rotation. Does it give you an inkling as to where they may go after the lockout? And how can they go? We touched on it briefly last week, but how can they go about improving the pitching? Because that seems to be where Billy Epler wants things to go. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. And as was reported by Jeff Passan of ESPN, the Mets nearly, well, the plan was to get not only Kevin Gosman, but Max Scherzer. So when Kevin Gosman signed with Toronto, he turned down more money from the Mets and it did not preclude them from going after Scherzer. So, you, so we thought, at least as I broke it down, that they would basically shop from one bin and Scherzer was in that bin, and then they'd go to the next tier. And that's not what happened. They went out and they were trying to go for the gusto. And again, it tells you exactly what this owner is all about and should make you feel really good. And it won't like be like this every offseason, but every time there's an opportunity to... Be involved where money is part of that equation and big money and maybe money that's risky money because you could go, these these contracts could go bad. We know that. This owner is willing to take that risk, at least today. And I think for the most part, unless things go really sour financially for this club, for the better, for the, for the foreseeable future. So knowing that, knowing that they batted 500, one for two, and they got the biggest fish, which is Maybe debatable because of his age, but certainly from a, a branding and marketing standpoint. They lost that on Gosman. Robbie Ray is gone. And you basically want to go out there and, you know, you want to have a situation. Who's next? I mean, that's the, the you know, the ultimate thing. Who's next? And the free agent, and as I go and I and I look at uh, free agent free agent pitchers who are left, I mean, none of them have the qualifying offer. I'm just, yeah, none of them have the qualifying offer, anybody who's left, starting pitchers that are free agents. And none of them really, except for one, have the cachet of a Gosman. And the one that's left that I think that the Mets should explore, and I wonder what kind of contract it would take, but it would be an extremely risky contract, is Carlos Rodon. Now, Rodon is what is he represented by? Let's take a look here. Do they have his... Yeah, he's a part of the Boris Corporation, so he's not going to be easy to sign. But you've seen with the Boris Corporation, the Mets have actually now established a pretty good relationship there. Who knows if Scherzer has any influence. Carlos Rodon is a guy who's had all sorts of injuries, shoulder injuries, which is always a red flag. Finished fifth in the Cy Young voting, all-star, 
tremendous. At, at every bit this season of a Brandon Woodruff or a Gosman, he only made 24 starts and 132 innings pitch. So I don't know if he's a guy that you could expect 30 to 33 starts in seven innings, but he's a guy that would give you extremely high-quality work in the innings he does give you. I do not think he's proven outside of 2021 at the age of 28 that he could stay healthy. This is his best season in the, in the, in the big leagues. Uh, it's a breakout season. He was pretty much hurt for two years. The last time he even did 20 starts was 2018. The last time he made as many as 24 starts was 2016. We're going way back, way back on that. And let's face it, any of the big free agent pitchers made a minimum of 20 to $23 million a year. So that's what you are going to have to pay him. Now with Rodon, maybe it's a shorter term deal. Maybe it's a two-year deal, which mitigates some of the risks. So you're taking all the money up front here. And it's a lottery ticket. It's certainly a lottery ticket. It's a lottery ticket that's less of a pie in the sky than it was just a year ago. But outside of that, I look at the free agent pitchers. If you don't want to go that route, that lottery ticket, or that lottery ticket becomes way too expensive, you're looking at a lot of guys who could be good. Nobody that's top of the rotation potential like a Gosman could be done. Who? And I guess the other way the Mets have to go, just to look at it, and I think they have to do this regardless of of whether they could go and land a Rodon for big money. Who is there, and I'm trying to think of the right way to put this, who is there Joe Musgrove? Padres went out and got Musgrove from Pittsburgh, a guy whose traditional numbers didn't look great, but had really good peripheral numbers. Is it Tyler Anderson, a guy they looked at who pitched for the Pirates, who's pitched for the Rockies, didn't do great in Seattle, but seems to come up fairly well on analytic-type measurements? Do they go for a veteran? Is there anything left? Would a Zach Greinke want to play in New York? That's always been a debate going back to when he was a Royal and the Yankees were looking at him and the feeling is he's not. Who are you gonna, What are you going to do? Are you going to resurrect Matt Harvey? Are you going to resurrect John Lester? Can John, I mean, John Lester, to me, is a fifth starter. Uh, let me see how he did. I, mean, I think he did better in, in St. Louis. The point is, where do you go? And I think the only other way you can go and improve this roster i mean he was okay he was league he was below league average in st louis i mean he's he's not a good pitcher anymore john lester he's a fifth starter at best but he's a veteran so maybe he could give you some of those moments uh you know it's a tough spot michael pineda it'd be interesting to see where the mets go here because impact is really one guy on the free agent market you could beef up the bullpen and yeah you got some guys that you know mcgill and peterson but Right now, Taiwan Walker's your three, and that's okay, but I, he might be more of a four. You really probably need someone who can give you, and I think Steven Matz was going to be that guy. He, he turned the, the offer down. That kind of performance. Now, Rondon could give you that plus much, much more, but he's a risk. And then you could say, where do they go in the trade market? See, I still think the trade market's going to be tough for the Mets. The two teams that have most rumored to be open to trading pitching are the Oakland A's, and the Reds. Now the Reds have Luis Castillo and the A's have their trio. And, you know, the A's trio, Shomanaya, Bassett, those guys, Frankie Montas. Uh, I, I said all along that I thought Bassett was the guy who was the most realistic. I think he's the one that will bring back the least. But I, I think both those teams, and we also don't know, and I think what will play into it will be the salary 
floor? Is that part of the new CBA? Because they're going to need to feel the team. But if I'm trying to, if I'm trading those assets, I'm going to make those very expensive and a big part of any rebuild or retooling if the Reds are looking just to trim payroll but still retool and rob Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. I don't know if the Mets are willing to do that. I mean, they, they came on, Epler came on the Zoom conference and said they don't want to trade any of their top prospects. Is Mark Vientos part of that top prospects? I don't know. He had very impressive numbers. Can he fetch one of these guys? I think he can be part of a deal. I don't know if he can be the centerpiece of the deal. And is Dom Smith or Jeff McNeil, and I would not trade Jeff McNeil. Dom Smith, is he worth anything? I don't know. I mean, where else would you go? J.D. Davis? I mean, these are all good pieces. I think they point more towards a Chris Bassett than a Frankie Montas or a Sean Manaya. I mean, Luis Castillo, certainly no. Would you be able to take on, and I think that's the other question, I think the Mets will, would they take on a bad contract like an Elvis Andrews contract that's way overpaid, a couple of years left at $14 million per, to be able to pay less in prospects? Can they do that with Cincinnati? And you look at the Reds, do they have a guy like, you know, is Mike Moustakis an albatross around their neck? Eugenio Suarez, is he an albatross around their neck? Do they want to get rid of him? Do you want to go the route of a salary dump for lesser prospects like a Sonny Gray who Brian Cashman felt and Gray proved couldn't pitch in New York? Do you want to go that route? you want to bring him back? I know he's, I think he's a Connecticut guy, so I'm surprising to hear that. So... The one time I really don't have a feel about where this team is going to go is with the starting pitching because I don't know how many avenues they're going to have. And hearing that they lost out on Gosman and Gosman took less money to go to Toronto, I mean, it tells you a lot about what he felt about Toronto. Maybe there was some fear, maybe not having a manager and not having a direction. That's probably where it got hurt in that free agency situation. Them's the breaks. Mets have to suffer the consequences of their actions and... In the long run, I think they'll be okay. I think they did this the right way. But you might have to really find a way to get Carlos Rodon into this rotation. That might be your best chance at making a significant impact. Sure, you go in the season with a lot of different arms that give you if, 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 if. That could be very dangerous. Because I'm the, the offense proved that it cannot, at least the offense that's coming into the season, it cannot score five runs a game. It cannot carry the team for any sustained period. It lost a big bat in Baez. Yeah, it gained bats, gained good complementary bats and components and different di- dimensions than what they had last year, but we don't know how that's going to go together. Um, I, the offense has to prove itself to me. I'm not ready to put it in for any success until I see these guys. I see these guys at some length. So the pitching has to be better than what we thought it would be. And and we were all forgetting about Carrasco. I know that. And I mean, the problem I have with Carrasco and, and and I'll give it to you what I said last year when I didn't mind Carrasco coming over from the Indians, but everybody had him penciled in as an ace and he hasn't made 30 starts since 2018. This is the last time he was a really good pitcher. He's more Marcus Stroman good. He's more Marcus Stroman good in his career. He's not an ace. And I'll take it. I'll take it. And maybe the bone chips. And I mean, his season got all screwed up. We know what happened. But it's been a while since he's been that guy. So I can't rely on him. So who's the guy? We talk about trading from, with Oakland or Cincinnati. I don't think the Mets have the ability to give up prospects 
or the desire to give up prospects for a big arm. They may have to take on a salary guy like Sonny Gray, which is better than maybe some of the options that I, I pointed out on the free agent market. Of course, with risk. So I think the first question when the lockout ends, when this baseball nightmare ends, is how quickly does the market develop? It'll be quick. And, you know, what... What, what what direction will the Mets go? What direction can they go in? Free agency and spending money, they can. We know that. Trades, I'm not so sure. So it will be interesting. And what will also be interesting, and I'm having, you know, I'm running through these questions, is will there be pitchers who probably could get big league deals, but will take minor league deals with the opportunity to prove themselves because they're anxious about waiting for the lockout to be over? Now, those guys are not Carlos Rodon. I'm not saying that. But other guys, because I'll take on a veteran minor league deal, invite a John Lester, maybe even a Jake Arrieta to see what they have. The odds are they have nothing left because they've proven it over a couple of years. You know, is there any one, you know, will Grinky do a one-year deal in New York? I don't know about that. I guess it would depend on the manager. What is Buck Showalter, if he's the guy, does he, does he change minds out there? I mean, you could beef up the bullpen. And I heard about Kikuchi, who's the starting pitcher from Seattle, has some good metrics, and maybe they go that way. But he just, I don't know. He just, to me, looks like a situational reliever lefty. Got hit pretty hard. I know he was an all-star. I, I, I know he's got some good, I mean, he's got upside. So if you go that route, but if you're going to have to give a four-year deal, which is probably the market he's looking at, if Steven Matz and some of these other guys, uh, you know, the Sclafani got these three, four-year deals, well, I don't know if I want to give that to him. I'd rather go year by year and see what I got because I think that you're going to get locked up and it's going to prevent you from making a move in the future. Even though you have a rich owner, there is limitations at times. Now, again, we don't know what the CBA is going to look like. So that was just something I thought to round out the show about the, you know, the Gosman Scherzer rumor would have made for a much different conversation. You can't be crazy upset uh, and it is a rumor and the Mets lost out and look, Gosman didn't want to play here. There's probably reasons for that. I don't know why I'd want to pay more taxes to play in Canada, but that's me. Maybe I'm missing something. I've heard it's a great city. I've never been there. And it's certainly a good offensive team. I know they took a big loss in losing Simeon, but they got some really good young dynamic players. And I'm sure they're going to be competitive and they're looking to spend money and they're looking to be a big part of uh, the race in the AL East. And that might be enticing to him. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Like I said... We, I am working on some things. I think we need to dive into this lockout a little bit. As I predicted going forward, there's going to be that, you know, break in the ice. I, I mean, they could be talking. Maybe there's no rumors about it right now. But the first person to reach out and get serious about negotiating is the one that loses leverage. So I think we're a long ways away. I don't think you're going to see any movement, in my opinion, until after New Year. Uh, Gil Hodges and the Veterans Committee, I have a lot of thoughts on how that went. For the most part, it went well, I think. Uh, Dick Allen uh, being kicked out, uh, not kicked out, not being a, a selected is, is a travesty. But Gil Hodges getting selected opens up possibly another Met. So we'll get to that another time. And of course, you know, there's all sorts of other things that will come up. I'm sure there'll be news. And uh, I don't think we're going to do special edition of show on a free agent minor league signing, but you never know. Stranger things have happened. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, you can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple Podcast, Spotify. 
pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast very soon. Till then, take care, everybody. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.